everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. This week, we hop into the Wayback Machine for another cruise down memory lane. Before we set the dial to the year 2000, Richard and I put on our Siskel and Ebert movie critic hats and give you our insights in the film Oppenheimer. We promise to steer clear of any spoilers for those of you who haven't seen it. Richard, you go first. What was your reaction to this half of the Barbenheimer phenomenon? By the way, for those of you who don't know what Barbenheimer is, it's a portmanteau of the titles of the movies, Barbie and Oppenheimer. I think it's really clever. And it basically came about because two giant blockbuster movies opened on the same day. Richard. We're just talking about Oppenheimer, which to me was enthralling, just mesmerizing and for the most part loyal to the Pulitzer Prize winning book, American Prometheus, it was based on. There are so many themes and characters in this film, heroism, hubris, intellectual competition, vexing moral and ethical issues, mental anguish and neuroticism. There's a little sex and smoking and drinking thrown in as well. Uh, (laughs) Thank God. You lost me with all that other stuff. (laughs) Let's say, what's the story? That's the first question you ask the journalist. What is the story? It's the life of theoretical physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, Oppie as he's known, and his role in the unprecedented push by the U.S., to develop a war-ending atomic bomb before the Germans develop their own. You think of it, assembling two, three, four dozen of the world's leasing physicists, plopping them on a remote plateau high in the mountains of New Mexico, and getting them to work together for three-plus years to build this device. Wow. Gary, hop in here. I had a different view. I thought it was a, an interesting movie, good acting, Really good acting, I think. Mm. Nice set and setting. The script eh, didn't really excite me. It was true to the book, but it just didn't move me as much as it did Richard. One of the things that was interesting for me is living in New Mexico, near Los Alamos, having been at Los Alamos, worked with some of the folks up there on some technology transfer. It kind of made it a very local, personal film. But Mm. in general... I kind of walked out of the theater thinking, so was Oppenheimer a sympathetic character? And I think that's what anybody that hasn't seen it should go into it thinking, what about Oppie? What do you think about him? Richard, what's your final rating for this one? I didn't like the beginning of the movie. I thought it was too techno, but the rest of it, I'll give it a 4.8 on a five scale. I'm going to give it a 4.1. Good, but not great. And it'll get some Oscar nominations, of course. Might even win an Oscar. I think it was the best assemblage of a cast. I have never seen so many fabulous actors in roles that fit them. Do you want to see it, Randy, now that you've heard about it? Based on what you guys have just said, it sounds really boring. And I'm not going to go see Oppie. I'm going to go see Barbie. Because Barbie sounds like it might be more fun. I would watch Oppenheimer when it comes to streaming because then you can pause it or fast forward and you can also take a bathroom break. It's three (laughs) hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's too long for a movie. My attention span isn't that long anymore. So for you listeners, 
Have you joined the lines to watch Oppenheimer, loved it, hated it, or just meh? Drop us an email <laughs> or leave a comment below and give us your comments. Randy, take us back to the year 2000. Uh, let's get back into the Wayback Machine that we know and love. That's right. Turn some dials, some analog controls, and let's go back to the year 2000, Y2K, as it was known in the early part of the year. It was a big year. We're going to talk about the highs, the lows, the big news stories, the pop culture that was popular. I mean, really popular. I think we've got a lot to talk about. Let's talk about Y2K as a phenomenon. Set the stage. It's like 1999, (laughs) and people are looking forward to the calendar turning to the year 2000, which is a BFD all by itself. Mm -hmm. But there was something going on in the technology world. Remember that, Gary? I do, and I actually participated in developing software that was part of the problem. (laughs) <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> Anybody that wrote software back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, back when computer storage was really expensive, mm. 10 megabytes was considered a large disk drive. Today, your emails can be 10 megabytes long and nobody notices it. So we were very, very sensitive to storing data. Instead of saying 1995, you wouldn't want to save that the one and the nine because everybody knew it was in the 20th century, the 1900s. So you'd only save 95. Now, when you come over to the year 2000, suddenly all your math goes wrong. So we all thought it was going to be a freaking disaster. <laughs> I read uh, something online that explained it really well. You're spot on, as you would say. You're spot on because it was all about computer storage. And, and in the 60s, when this stuff was being invented, I mean, storage was really a big deal. So you didn't want to put two extra characters in a bunch of dates that you didn't need. 60 meant 1960 and 70 meant 1970. The fear was when we go to 2000 and the two digits go to zero, the fear was all these computers were going to think it's 1900. And oh my gosh, now what do we do, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that was the issue because you, you did a lot of programmatic work using the differences in dates and comparisons between dates. I wrote my share of code that basically assumed two-digit dates. They're all thinking, well, I fixed my software. I wonder if everybody else fixed their software. And surprisingly enough, (laughs) guess what happened? Everybody fixed their software. The world did not come to an end. (laughs) The water didn't stop flowing. The electricity stayed on. We survived. All right. So I got a personal story here. I'm not a computer tech guy, but in 1999, oh, like about December 29th, 1999, I went to get some propane for my barbecue, right? My gas <laughs> grill. And I stood in the longest line I've ever been in to get propane. It's like everybody in the world, including me, <laughs> oh my was God. saying, you know what? If the electricity goes off, huh? at least I'm going to be able to barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming the stores could get their doors open, you know, I was was going to be okay because I was going to be barbecuing in the backyard. It's it's the meme for 
okay, we're all concerned about this. What exactly do we do? (laughs) Yeah. I sure remember a a nervous buzz toward the end of that year of 1999. But the good news is everybody's hair was on fire two years before. Yeah. I mean, it was, oh my God, Y2K, Y2K. We talked about it nonstop for two years. And by that time, everybody had a chance to get their act together. And your story about... Be at least be able to make hamburgers, even if there's no water, no electricity. That's important. We got to eat. So the beginning of Y2K <laughs> literally was a whimper and not a bang. But there were other stories going on. Richard, what else do you remember from the year 2000? Well, let me tell you some things that left us in the year 2000. The Panama Canal, for example was given over to Panama, to the Panamanian government, after 75 years of control by our government. Big deal. Really? You know why they did that? Because they weren't sure they were going to be able to get the canals to open in 2000. <laughs> in 2000. So they said, we're going to give this to Panama. Let them deal with it. <laughs> that was their problem. Okay, there's one. Another thing that left us was... The Concorde Air France flights. Flight 4590 crashed just after takeoff in July of 2000. It killed everyone aboard just after takeoff from Paris. And Concorde, as a business, never recovered. Fleet was grounded for almost a year. And two years later, the company went out of business. Third thing that left us, the final peanut strip after 50 years. You know, for me, that was actually a big deal. Yes. Yeah. No, same here. That was a gap in our cultural life. The fourth thing, Bill Gates left as Microsoft CEO, said he was going to devote the rest of his time to his charity. And that was just a significant moment in the technology world, was it not, Gary? You had to be a Gates fan to care. It was a news story. He was a big public person. I don't remember it. I guess I was so engaged in the internet era, which I think is the big story of 2000. It really felt like it was beginning to Mm. peak and crash. What left us in 2000 was Pets.com. Think about that. Pets.com died. (laughs) And that was basically the biggest signal for the internet bubble bursting. And that's what happened in 2000 is the bubble burst in March. But one other thing in terms of business that happened of great significance, at least cultural and kind of psychic significance, December 2000, Montgomery Ward announced its intention to close after 128 years. That was personally sad for me because as a college student in San Diego, I got a um, a Christmas time job at Montgomery Ward. Oh, my. And as a floating checker. They hired half a dozen or 12 of us to just go to wherever somebody didn't show up that day during the Christmas mm. season sales. I settled in the men's clothing department <laughs> with no experience whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> and ended up working there for a couple of years. It was 
It was like uh, being on the Titanic. (laughs) 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 And that was in the 70s. I I saw the writing on the wall. It's like, this place is not long for the world. Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs) Old business model selling frumpy clothing and stuff like that. And and surely by that time, Montgomery Ward was a a far second place to Sears as far Mm -hmm. as that kind of business model. It was still sort of bittersweet for me. In 2000, when Montgomery Ward um, actually said, yeah, we're thrown in the towel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Monkey wards. Monkey wards. And sometimes you enter the future, like, let's face it, the year 2000 at the time felt like, hey, we're in the future now, right? We're in the 21st century. Oh, yeah. We're all living like Jetsons. Montgomery <laughs> Ward just didn't have a place there. <laughs> Their online presence wasn't anything to get excited about. They didn't know what the web was. They didn't know computers, and and they were still working on the computers that thought it was 1900. So. <laughs> they probably didn't make it through Y2K. That was it. That's that right. was what caused the demise of Montgomery Ward's. Okay, gents. We've left off one of the biggies, and that's the presidential election year. This was the closest presidential election in history, Bush defeating Al Gore. And the outcome, if we remember, was not known for over a month after the election votes were cast because of disputed votes in your favorite state, Gary, Florida. No, I love Florida. Please, please, we don't want any of our audience in Florida to abandon us. I'm going to Florida in January. I'll be there for three weeks. I know you are the best time well, of the year. Well, it's not snowing. Are you going to pick up some hanging chads while yeah. you're there? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody remember hanging chads? They I remember the term. term. I don't know what it. I don't know what it meant actually. It, but it, I, it referred to a computer punch card <laughs> oh that my. you literally punch yeah. out that little tiny rectangle, right? Yeah. And if it didn't punch it completely, it was a hanging chad. <laughs> now nobody knew that the little piece that gets punched out was called a chad and maybe they made it up for you know for that story but honestly that was the big story of the year for it me. was the, yeah. the whole y2k thing was sort of the big bust of a story but let's face it a u.s presidential election that you know you go to bed at two o'clock that morning and not knowing who won and you wake up and for another month we still didn't know who won. that's right that's that so was right. a big deal Went to the Supreme Court. The court decided what would be. Yeah, they basically decided in favor of Bush. Hey, and speaking of presidential elections, Vladimir Putin was first elected president of Russia in April 2000. And we all know where that went. Good old (laughs) Vladdy. (laughs) Does anybody out there in podcast land... Raise your hand if you like Vladimir Putin. Let's just get a show of hands. No, nobody, nobody. Okay, well, that's what I thought. Feel free to tell us. We don't. We know nothing. We're just a bunch of old guys nattering away on the hey. on the on the internets, the pipes and the tubes. That's right. That's right. Gary, what about this deal with America Online purchasing Time Warner in the largest corporate acquisition in history? Was that a big deal or not? It was a bet on technology direction. AOL was considered the dominant player. Steve Case and his company really had a good handle on the internet, but I don't think they executed well enough. You know, it's interesting. I came from a point of view of being fully embedded in the internet technology. So the political ramifications of Bush v. Gore, 
I kind of followed, but I really didn't think about it because I was just up to my ears in all this wonderful new technology and the future of the internet and where we were going and all the great things that were going to happen. And then the bubble burst. Hmm. And it wasn't a pleasant time if you were in a leadership position in a, in a small Oof. company. Well, that's a good segue into what I want to talk about next. Do you guys remember any movies that came out in 2000? And specifically, I've got a list in front of me of the top five grossing movies for Y2K, the year 2000. Can you name any of them off the top of your head? Not me. Nope. <laughs> I actually did the same thing. I looked up top 10 movies and I went through the list and I didn't recognize one. Okay, you have to at least know about the number one movie from that year, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, an animated movie based on the Dr. Seuss book, was the number one grossing movie of the year, came out in November. It made $251 million at the box office. Boy, Surely you've heard, of, heard that. of that. I've heard of that, yes. The list that I used didn't include The Grinch. I would have remembered The Grinch. <laughs> I like that movie, by the way. Right, I happened so, to see it. It's a classic. 23 years later, it's a classic. All right, let me just read the list. Top five. How the Grinch Stole Christmas was number one. Number two, Mission Impossible 2 with our friend Tom Cruise. Number three, Gladiator with Russell Crowe. That was mm. a big show mm -hmm. in the summer of 2000. A movie called The Perfect Storm. Does anybody out there remember The Perfect mm -hmm. Storm? I love this movie because it might be the only hit movie in history about weather. <laughs> it's such a weird topic. Um, but they made the it compelling. Yeah. They made it compelling. And the fifth movie of the year, Meet the Parents, which was the comedy on this <laughs> list, yeah. which is still funny, by the way. Go to Netflix and see it. It's a very funny movie. So there you have it, folks. As older guys, and because this isn't like in the way, way back machine, the year 2000 is not 1968 or 1978. It's funny how the popular culture things aren't top of mind, at least for me, mm -hmm. at this time period. It's like the music. I mean, if you go back and think of great songs from the year 2000, nothing comes to mind for me. I've got that one, too. Well, guys, I'll bet you can't name the number one best-selling album from the year 2000. I'm going to give <laughs> you a hint. I'm going to give you the album title. You give me the artist. Are you guys ready? We are. Okay. All right, the number one album, the Marshall Mathers LP. Who was the artist? I never heard of it. Marshall Mathers <laughs> String Band. <laughs> I love Richard's answer. It's not right. But just to put this in perspective, right? Now, we're three old guys. In the year 2000, we were older, but not no. senior citizens. But clearly, we were out of the loop for pop right. culture. This album has sold 32 million copies. Oh. The artist is Eminem. Eminem? Who is the Marshall most famous- Mather. yes! The most famous white rapper. And none of us know this album. That puts it in right. perspective. Now- the complete dichotomy is the number two selling album from the year 2000 is by the Beatles when they did a collection of all their number one hit singles, which is also in the ensuing years sold 32 wow. million copies. So this is the schizophrenia yeah. of pop music. 
There's a bunch of rappers on this. There's Britney Spears on this list. There's a rap rock band named Linkin Park, which you guys probably never heard heard of. Never heard of. Pop culture is clearly not in our wheelhouse in the year 2000. I I think that's just fascinating. It is. I was in my 50s. I should have been still plugged in in, to some extent. No, we froze culturally in 1970. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I remember the 80s. But the year 2000, man, I wasn't buying albums yeah. anymore. I was going retro. I actually went back and started listening to country music in the year 2000, digging back into the archives of Hank Williams and some of the great old singers. Well, Randy wasn't buying albums. Let's talk about things that we were buying in the year 2000. How about this one? The average cost of a new house in America was $134,150. Think about that. I'll buy that house right now. Sight unseen. (laughs) And you know what? You could afford to buy that house because your average income that year was $40,343. It was a third of what it cost to buy a house. And now it's a tenth of what it cost. How about the cost of a gallon of gas? $1.26. I'll fill my tank at that (laughs) price right now. And a dozen eggs, 89 cents. Oh, boy. The one thing that's odd to me is that the average cost of a new car in the year 2000 was $24,750. That seems like a lot of money. Yeah, for back then it does. It really does. I mean, uh. check your sources. <laughs> check my check his sources. <laughs> Why my sources? The internet. Well, it's got to be right then. It's got to be. It's got to be. It is right. Correct. It's so right. It's so right. I bet that's what? so wrong. No, yeah. I, I think that I think that sounds right. Richard is our number one source. I mean, I I trust whatever Richard says. So you, it costs a ton to buy the car, but it doesn't cost you anything to run it because the gallon of gas is only a dollar twenty six. Well, you know, guys, I don't know if there are any other big stories from the year 2000. Do we have any more we haven't covered? When you look back, I'm thinking, God, that's a year that had no really serious memories. The internet was an interesting thing, but that was a long, enduring trend. In terms of events, meaningful, singular events, aside from Gush v. Gush v. Gush Gush v. Board. How how quickly (laughs) we forget (laughs) (laughs) Bush v. Gore. What else happened? You know what? The year started with supposed to be a big story that was a whimper. It ended with a big story that really was a big story, the presidential election. And in between, you know, a bunch of stuff happened, but not that memorable, honestly. It's not like 1968 show we did a few weeks ago when there was one thing after the other. It was just such a big news year. Even though it was the turn of the century, which really might have been the big story, the, mm-hmm. the, the mental leap we had to make to go from the, the 20th century to the 21st century. Aside from that, it was just another year. Wake me up when yeah. it's over. Yeah. 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 Agree. It's been fun going in the Wayback Machine. We didn't go that far way back, right? <laughs> <laughs> we went back 23 years, but still... A look back is always kind of a fun thing to do. I don't know about you guys, but I'm glad we're in 23. I don't, I don't want to be in the year 2000 again. So with that as a bookend, thanks for listening to Camp Codger. 
We love it when you're here. We love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week here at camp. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Cadre in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com. Post a comment at www.campcodger.com or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171.